Now a man was ill, Lazarus from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. Mary was the one who had anointed the Lord with perfumed oil and dried his feet with her hair. It was her brother Lazarus who was ill. So the sister sent word to Jesus, saying, Master, the one you love is ill. When Jesus heard this, he said, This illness is not to end in death, but is for the glory of God, that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that he was ill, he remained for two days in the place where he was. Then after this he said to his disciples, Let us go back to Judea. The disciples said to him, Rabbi, the Jews were just trying to stone you, and you want to go back there? Jesus answered, Are there not twelve hours in a day? If one walks during the day, he does not stumble, because he sees the light of this world. But if one walks at night, he stumbles, because the light is not in him. He said this, and then told them, Our friend Lazarus is asleep, but I am going to awaken him. So the disciples said to him, Master, if he is asleep, he will be saved. But Jesus was talking about his death, while they thought that he meant ordinary sleep. So then Jesus said to them clearly, Lazarus has died, and I am glad for you that I was not there, that you may believe. Let us go to him. So Thomas called Didymus, said to his fellow disciples, Let us also go to die with him. When Jesus arrived, he found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was near Jerusalem, only about two miles away, and many of the Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them about their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went to meet him, but Mary sat at home. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask of God, God will give you. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise. Martha said to him, I know that he will rise in the resurrection on the last day. Jesus told her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, even if he dies, will live. And every one who lives and believes in me will never die. Do you believe this? She said to him, Yes, Lord. I have come to believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, the one who is coming into the world. When she had said this, she went and called her sister Mary secretly, saying, The teacher is here and is asking for you. As soon as she heard this, she rose quickly and went to him, for Jesus had not yet come into the village, but was still where Martha had met him. So when the Jews who were with her in the house comforting her saw Mary get up quickly and go out, they followed her, presuming that she was going to the tomb to weep there. When Jesus came to where, when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet and said to him, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come with her weeping, he became perturbed and deeply troubled and said, Where have you laid him? They said to him, Sir, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, See how he loved him. But some of them said, could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something so that this man would not have died? So Jesus, perturbed again, came to the tomb. It was a cave, and a stone lay across it. Jesus said, Take away the stone. Martha, the dead man's sister, said to him, Lord, by now there will be a stench. He has been dead for four days. Jesus said to her, Did I not tell you that if you believe, you will see the glory of God? So they took away the stone, and Jesus raised his eyes and said, Father, I thank you for hearing me. I know that you always hear me, but because of the crowd here I have said this, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he had said this, he cried out in a loud voice, 
Lazarus, come out. The dead man came out, tied hand and foot with burial bands, and his face was wrapped in a cloth. So Jesus said to them, Untie him and let him go. Now many of the Jews who had come to Mary and seen what had, done, what had been done began to believe in him. The Gospel of the Lord. Praise to you, Lord Jesus Christ. Over the past three weeks, we have read from John's Gospel, each with a story of restoration. A story first that began with the woman at the well, in which Jesus restores her faith, restores her hope that she is not hopeless, that she is worthwhile, and that she can be healed of her past sins. And then last week, we had a story of restoration of a man's sight, both physically speaking, a man born blind having his sight restored, but also having his spiritual sight, the eyes of faith restored to him, that he may see Jesus and worship him as true God. And then this week we have the restoration of life, a restoration to life which ultimately is a restoration of love, to relationship, to communion with the Lord and with, with the ones around Lazarus. And as we look at this story, it is one of my favorites. It is one of my favorites because there are so many elements to it, as many of these Gospels have from John. And in particular, whenever we see that Jesus, and we hear that line that so many people love, it is often their favorite from Scripture. Many people ask them, what is your favorite line from Scripture? It will be the one from here. And Jesus wept. But I think looking at the Gospel in its entirety, that we see that here in that story, the reason why people love it is because it shows forth our Savior's humanity. It shows forth that he was indeed one of us. He shares in our pain. He shares in our grief. He shares in all that is the human experience, save sin. And that is comforting to us because grief is perhaps one of the most profound and painful experiences we have in losing a loved one. And I think that in his weeping, we then also see something else, though, at play here. Because we see him become deeply perturbed twice. And whenever they say, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. Mary says that to him. And he becomes deeply disturbed and perturbed interiorly. And then again, the Jews question him. Could not the one who opened the eyes of the blind man have done something so that this man would not have died? Again, it says that he is perturbed. And why is he perturbed? Well, he's perturbed because last week we just read about how he opened the eyes of a blind man, born blind, something that had never been done. You would think by now they get it. you think that they would get it. Even death has no power over Jesus, has no power over God. And he becomes perturbed and disturbed because of their lack of faith, their inability to see what he is doing. And even his disciples should have picked up on this, because he tells them that Lazarus is dead and I'm going to awaken him. They should know what is about to happen. They should be able to trust that what is going to happen is going to be something powerful, something wonderful, and something beautiful. But yet they lack that faith. 
And of course, those powerful words, as Jesus prays to his Father, and it's very clear that he just says them so that everybody knows exactly what he's asking for. Lazarus, come out. Every time I read this as a priest, out loud, it always gives me goosebumps. Because it's such a powerful line, and it's something that's said to each one of us. You could insert your own name that one day that will be said of you. Come out. Come out into light. Be restored to life. Because while we are literally talking about literal death here, we also experience, and again, there's many layers to the gospel, we also experience spiritual deaths. Our own experiences of hopelessness where we feel like everything has died. We have perhaps died. This can be a personally interiorly. Our sins can often cause us to fall into spiritual death. Perpetual struggle with the dark side of the internet. Anger that just seems to crop up and pop up against our spouses or others. Recurring envy within our own lives or just a sense that we are not good enough. And we fall into different forms of spiritual death personally. And the Lord wants to call us out of our tombs that we have perhaps made for ourselves, telling ourselves we're not worthy of it. He can't heal me of this. I'm too far gone. I've tried again and again. Nothing's work. And I will never be brought back to life in this area. But that is a lie. That is a complete and utter lie that so often we buy. He does want to restore you to life. He does want to give you the means necessary to overcome those sins that cause you spiritual death, that cause your soul to fall into a stupor, that cause your soul to go dormant. And he wants to restore to you that life. Now it's not often in the same sort of magical, instantaneous way that we see Lazarus come out, because it requires surrender on our part, a level of trust, a trust that he can indeed do it. That doesn't mean that he just snaps his fingers one day and we're all of a sudden healed. But what it does mean is that we have the humility to surrender. Perhaps we need to get rid of that smartphone to separate from the dark side of the internet. Maybe we need to go to a psychologist to help us dig into what the wounds are that we are really dealing with. A good psychologist, a good Catholic one. Perhaps we really have to dig deeply within prayer and admit that we're discontented, that we're not quite right, and that we are dissatisfied with where our lives currently are, to ask the Lord what he can do about it. We have to do the hard work the actual moving towards the Lord as Martha does and as Mary does. We have to rise and go to him. We have to go to him to ask him to heal us. We have to put in some effort, some work, and make a movement in his direction in order for him to heal us. We can't just expect our lives to stay the same as it is in every other way and then for him just to poof, change that. So often we mix up the interior reality with the exterior reality. Because I think another form of death that we often experience, especially in our modern age, and I think it's particularly a symptom of things like cable news and social media, 
and so we become hopeless at the state of the world. Everything seems to going, be going to blank in a handbasket. We think that everything is just gone. The world, our country, the church, perhaps even we feel that about our parishes. We begin to doubt that God can restore it. But the reality is, is it starts with us. The transformation of the church has always been a transformation of individuals into saints. Whenever the Roman Empire fell, it seemed as though Christianity had failed. Everything was dead, and nothing was ever going to be restored in terms of the church. But then came along St. Gregory the Great, St. Benedict. And they laid the foundations that took, yes, centuries to restore Christianity to its splendor and to its glory. But it happened. In the Middle Ages, the church was thrown into absolute chaos. Kings were buying bishops off. Bishops, priests were living extravagant, sinful lifestyles. And the Lord sent us St. Francis and St. Dominic. They transformed themselves, and that in turn transformed the church. So often we focus on the, if the exterior world was exactly the way I wanted it, and I thought it should go, everything would be okay. I would be happy. But the term that the church uses for prayer life is the interior life, which means that we order here first, and that affects the way we act exteriorly. We need to order ourselves towards the Lord. Are we truly centered upon him in the Eucharist? Him in the sacraments? Do we trust that he can do it? That he can restore the church? Because it's his. It's not mine. It's not yours. It's his. Do we trust the Lord can restore the church? Do we trust that he wants to give life once again to her? Or do we want to simply sit back, criticize, complain, and grow embitter towards what it is? The Lord invites us into something deeper. He invites you into a deeper relationship with him. And by that relationship, he will transform you, transform your family, transform your small group of people that you commune with on a regular basis, and then transform your parish, the church, world. Start with yourself. And ultimately, that hope only comes if we believe in the big hope. The reason Christianity exists and the sole claim it really makes. Which is what we see happen in today's gospel. Which is that the resurrection from the dead is for real. You see in our church today that the images are covered. Well, there's many theological, spiritual significances. One of my favorite that I've heard is that we cover the images to invite us into a sort of thought experiment. What if Christ had never done that, died on the cross? What if he had never rose from the dead? We would be left of none of these things. 
there will be no saints. We would not have the artistic beauty that the faith has given us. And we would still be dead in our sin and literally dead in death. The doors of this life do not clang shut and leave us with a void, with nothingness. Instead, as one of the prefaces from the funeral mass says, for your faithful Lord, life is changed, not ended, and changed for the better, the infinitely better. The resurrection is the entire centrality of our faith. It is our everything. St. Paul even calls it out in one of his letters and says that if Christ did not rise from the dead, you are still dead in your sins, and we are the most contemptible of people. If he didn't die on the cross for us, for our sins, and if he didn't rise from the dead, this is all just some sort of extravagant show. But he truly did rise from the dead. That is what Lent is working towards. That is what this entire period is meant to do. We are meant to strip ourselves of earthly pleasures, meant to simplify so many things so as to make room to truly help us to experience, even in a very limited way, the power of the resurrection, the restoration of life that Christ wants for you, wants for me, wants for each and every one of us. And here and now, but most importantly, in the life to come. Christianity is all about restoration. The restoration of our souls, the restoration of our relationship with God, the restoration of our relationships with one another. Communion, union, friendship, love. That is what it says core. And the most important restoration that he makes is a restoration of our souls. Because by the restoration of our souls, he is able to restore us to life, both here and now, but also forever in the life to come, which eye has not seen, nor has ear heard, what God has in store for you who love him. <laughs>